John's Gospel is very different from the other Gospels. While they focus on events, following Jesus through bustling market towns and villages, John's style is quite different. Unlike Matthew, Mark and Luke, John assumes his readers knew the basic facts about Jesus. So instead of focusing on these facts relating to various events, John mulls over the profoundness of what Jesus had said and done. He is reflective and pays sharp attention to the deeper meanings of Jesus' actions and words. Interestingly, as you read through John, the whole book, you'll see that he chooses evocative stories from no more than about 20 days of Jesus' life. And he has arranged them so that they present a Messiah who has a definite mission. It's demonstrated by Jesus saying when challenged by the Pharisees, I know where I came from and where I am going. Jesus was not simply a man who fell to earth, but God's son sent to work in the earth, on the earth, to do the work of God his Father. And his repeated references to the one who sent me gives an emotional understanding of events through time. For readers today, for us, rather than recounting events, John is interpreting those events. And as time has gone on through history, we must be very thankful for that. But we need, because of this, to carefully consider the audience Jesus addresses. Is he talking to his disciples, to his opponents, or to the large crowds? In each case, he treats his audience very, very differently. Jesus uses two metaphors throughout chapter 10, both figures of speech having the same background, the shepherd and the gate by which a sheep pen or sheepfold is entered. These large common or shared sheepfolds are still sometimes seen in the Middle East and even in parts of the countryside in Greece. It is an unroofed enclosure, usually of stone, with dried thorn brambles used as barbed wire along the stone wall. Several shepherds would be able to guard their sheep, I should say fold their sheep in the same sheep pen overnight, and one gatekeeper would keep watch over all these shepherds' sheep. Jesus speaks of himself first as the rightful shepherd, able to approach openly by the entrance. He could do this because he was recognised by the watchman or gatekeeper, and his own sheep, penned up with all the others, recognised his voice. Because of this, he can lead them out of the pen to pasture each day, and they will follow him because they are familiar with his voice, and he calls them by name. Strangely, Jesus' meaning was not understood. Maybe his listeners were all city folk, for he's giving 
this first talk to his listeners in Jerusalem? Or was it something else? Was it spiritual blindness and deafness? If you remember the blind man who'd been healed just before this was an example of spiritual blindness. And this continues on, but this time it's even more pronounced. They're not hearing him. And it doesn't make sense. For behind this rather countrified, comfortable imagery, there was an identifiable connection for Jesus' hearers and John's readers alike. The patriarchs, Moses and David, had all been shepherds. In Psalm 23 and Isaiah, God is likened to a shepherd. And Ezekiel had used the title for human rulers. And especially irrelevant here would be Ezekiel's meaningful contrast of faithful and unfaithful shepherds, with his promise that God himself would one day send a shepherd to his people. And God would be shepherding his people through that himself. This would all have echoed in Jewish minds as Jesus, Jesus spoke to them there in Jerusalem. So Jesus states the same truth, but another way. He is the gate of the sheep. All who enter by him find security and the liberty to go in and out of the synagogue freely. Unlike those banished from its protection, being the implication here, as the blind man had been. Banished because of the supposed sins of his parents, causing his blindness. I am the gate, Jesus tells them. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Only the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus tells them, that you may have life and have it to the full. It's essential for us to see that the image of both the shepherd's flock and the gate is not meant to represent exclusion in any way. It does not give us the license to think of ourselves as Jesus's true sheep and others as outsiders. The purpose of the gate is not to keep other sheep out. For Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And then, just to make sure what he is saying is fully understood, Jesus makes it personal by saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then, I know my sheep and my sheep know me emphasising the close relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, all leading to his powerful comparison of just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Throughout chapter 10, John is writing actually on two levels. The first, for those who seek to hear Jesus' voice, and know him. Second is for those who opposed Jesus at that time, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Of course, Jesus is the gate and the good shepherd on both levels. 
to protect the flock on one, and on the second to speak out against the Jewish authorities, who have become the worthless caretakers of God's people. Hence the reference to Ezekiel and also John's. They are like the hired hands who are not the shepherds of the sheep. Jesus is pointing out to the Jewish authorities and those unbelieving Jews that they are not his sheep. He's already divided opinion and challenged the religious establishment by healing of this blind man on the Sabbath. And now he's telling the chief priests they're not doing their job. And when you read further on, you will come to what finally sends them over the top. When Jesus says to them, I and the Father are one. From that moment on, the hostile wolves begin to close in on the Good Shepherd. They are out for his blood. Psalm 23 is a much-loved psalm, and one mostly heard in the context of mourning. Because of its collection of beautiful poetic lines, it is frequently read at a funeral. Yet it is so much more. It is a psalm written by David, who had been a shepherd, using his experience to give us this wonderful image of God as the Good Shepherd. Above all, we have David's personal, and I expect very hard-won, insight into the character of God and his care for us. Shepherds often risked their lives to rescue their sheep. They carried a rod and a staff to protect and correct their sheep, using the rod to beat off any animal trying to attack, while the staff was used to prod sheep going the wrong way, to steer them back to safety. Isaiah 53 tells us, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Sometimes we just wander off, don't we? For whatever reason, or for whatever is going on around us. Yet when we put our trust in God and allow him to help us, no matter how hard it is, he will guide us in the right direction. But patience is a difficult thing also. We always want to rush on and maybe not wait to hear that voice. David knows God will guide him and above all in this psalm proclaims himself under God's care, personal care. God is his protector and provider, he says the one he looks to for all his needs. Jesus, when he was human, like us, said, by myself I can do nothing. And surely, because we are weak, corruptible, mortal human beings, it would be wise to depend on God, our protector and provider for everything. I wanted to say depend entirely on God, but maybe this is something we need to remind ourselves of daily. We all do. Psalm 23 tells us that God blesses us in front of our enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
What does that mean today? Well, it means we don't have to worry about all the ones who want to see us fall or fail. We don't have to worry about what others say or think about us because God will continue to honour and bless us. He has our backs even when we sometimes resist him. For with God's love and goodness overtaking us, we can dwell in his presence every day and then spend eternity with him. Psalm 23 both reassures us and reminds us of all this. And I say again, it's written from hard-won experience by David, who had battled on and on in his relationship with God. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus the Good Shepherd, who laid down his life for us so that we might live with you forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, David, would you come back to the other sessions? Thank you.